0: Hello, and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Mary Stanford. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Colleen. Thank you for being on. I'm so excited. And uh, Mary Stanford teaches theology at Christendom College, and she's joining us today to talk about how men and women view, view bodies and how this affects relationships. And she received her Master of Theological Studies from John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family. So welcome. Thank you. And let's just jump right in. What? Like is, You were talking a little bit about the nature of the symbol when we were originally discussing this idea and how it relates to theology of the body. So can you just discuss a little bit of that since it's pretty key?
1: Yes, definitely. I do think the concept of symbol is probably the key to um, the theology of the body because it's really a way of explaining what the body is, right? I think there's many views in our culture today about what the body is, and um, most of them are erroneous, but they are sort of, I I do think they reflect elements of the truth about the body. Um, If you ask people what the body is today, sort of in the culture at large, I think um, many (laughs) think that the body, they might describe the body as something I have, right? A sort of straight-up instrument that I do things with, okay? And as much as i would say that is um, that's not true (laughs) there's an element of truth in it but it's not the whole truth and the other side of what you might hear today or see reflected in the culture today is uh, rather than an instrumentalist view is what i'd call more of a reductionist view it's the idea that the body is something i am right it exhausts my identity it's all that i am right and of course the sort of cult of the body, as it might be called, you know, whether it means, you know, having to look perfect um, to to uh, present yourself, you know, through social media, you know, cropping those pictures and making your body look as perfect as possible. Because if my body looks perfect, then I must be perfect, right? That's mm-hmm. all I really have to offer. And in truth, again, that is, that is not true. <laughs> but in truth, there is an element there that I think Um, is actually true. And the concept of symbol, the body as the symbol of the human person, really ties the two together. Because when you think about what a symbol is, it sort of has those two elements in it. A symbol is a physical reality. Okay, there's always something material, sensible about a symbol. But a symbol is never just that. Okay, A symbol is a physical reality that represents that makes present an invisible reality. And a okay? symbol is
0: different than a sign, right? Well, isn't that kind of I think one sometimes. Okay, okay, so sometimes symbol
1: and sign are can be used synonymously, and I think okay. there's it's that's fair. Um, so, but it's not. But like I arbitrary. think there can, there can yeah. be yeah <laughs> there can be um sort of of if you talk about symbol in the most sort of um complete and full way it mm-hmm. it perhaps does it it actually becomes more akin to uh what we as catholics call a sacrament right the definition of a sacrament um right is it's a physical sign mm-hmm. right but it it actually makes present that very thing that it symbolizes okay, okay. um so you know when we talk about uh, the holy eucharist right the bread and wine You know, as Catholics, we say, it's not just a sign, right? It doesn't just remind us of Jesus. We say, it actually makes Jesus truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, And so it's a sacrament. I'd say in the fullest sense, in that way, the body is a sign because there are many ways, there are many signs that could make me present to you, right? Mm -hmm. I could write you a letter and you have that letter that reminds you of Mary Stanford. Um, I could leave a voice recording that would make me present to you in some way. I could even leave sort of a cardboard cutout, right, of myself and you would see me and that physical um, item would remind, it would bring me to your mind, right? Mm-hmm. But there is only one um, physical reality that makes me, my interior dimension, my spiritual dimension, right? My thoughts, my words, Um my soul, uh, present to you. And that is when I am in the flesh, right? There's no other way for me to be more fully present to someone than when I am in the body. And so really, um, St. John Paul, in his theology of the body, says that the body is a symbol in that way, in the way that that a sacrament is, in that it, it makes present an invisible reality in a way that couldn't be made present otherwise. So there is this sort of um symbol par excellence that you might say as opposed to just everyday signs you know a flag a statue a painting something that that we see that sort of represents or reminds us uh, brings to mind some invisible reality um but that being said if you're talking about um let's say you know the flag of a certain country right i see a flag it is a physical thing right it's a physical item and when I perceive it, right, that flag brings to mind, okay, let's say it's the American flag. I think of um, our country. I think of uh, maybe our, our founders, our principles. I think of freedom. I think of people who have died for our country. You know, there's sort of a myriad of things that are brought to mind and are meant to be communicated um, through that physical item. Um, so we have two aspects there. Number one, this sign, this flag, it represents something. Okay, it sort of shows forth something. But the other element of it is that it doesn't show it forth for its own sake. We use signs. We use symbols to to represent an invisible reality for someone. Signs and symbols are always interpersonal. They're always meant to communicate or represent a reality to someone. And I use that word communicate. Symbols are meant to communicate. They're meant to bring person's spiritual beings together. Mm-hmm. But we, because we are beings that are physical, but not just physical, right? We are physical. We have a visible dimension mm-hmm. and an invisible dimension. And so because we ourselves exist at that sort of intersection of the physical and the spiritual, that's where that's where human beings are, right? Angels, mm-hmm. <laughs> totally spiritual, right? Yeah. Animals, totally material. We exist at that intersection. That really is the world of symbol. That's why we require symbols and signs to communicate we communicate the spiritual through the physical and so we see that the signs and symbols that we use as human beings again i mentioned a flag um you know maybe a statue of our lady right we we see a statue we don't worship the statue right as they cleared up in the in the eighth century um but nonetheless that that statue reminds me of Our Lady, right? The actual person that it represents. So we use signs and symbols. We use words and language, right? Those are another physical thing, right? It's we can hear language or we can see it written to communicate a reality. So symbols both represent, they make something present, something invisible present, and they do it for the purpose of communicating, for bringing people into unity and that i think is reflected in those two ways in which the the modern world today sort of views the body Mm -hmm. it's either something i have and i use instrumental or it's something i am okay it's me again taken out of context neither one of those exhausts the reality of what the body is but when you see that a symbol has a dimension that representational dimension in the sense that my body isn't me fully but it is a part of me and it, and it makes the rest of me, my invis, it it allows me to express my interior dimension, right? My intellect, my will, my thoughts. Um, and certainly it allows me to work in the world, right? My body is in a sense, instrumental. I can do things with my body. I can accomplish things with my body. So there is a sense that the body does have a certain instrumental character, but it also has that representational character identified with, yeah, this, this, is me, in a sense. So both of those things are true, but you have to put them together. And um, you mentioned at the beginning, a while back now, uh, about how men and women sort of... I do think that this attitude towards the body as something I have versus something I am does seem to be reflected along gender lines. Mm. We It does tend to be the case that men... Tend to see the body more as an instrument something that they do things with Mm -hmm. okay and women tend to be the ones that see the body as something they are right women tend to be the ones more concerned with physical appearance and looking good we tend to be the ones who are more affected by um, praise or denigration right of our physical appearance and um these things are very much rooted i think in in the bodily difference Okay, and mm-hmm. um, Saint Teresa Benedicta, who was the German philosopher Edith Stein, yes. uh, she I, I personally think her insights on the distinction, the distinctive perspectives of the masculine and the feminine, really weave very well into the theology of the body presented by John Paul, mm-hmm. um, because she's, she she sort of tries to explain why you know why is it that women tend to see the body as something. They are. Mm-hmm. And there are good aspects to this and dangerous aspects to this, just as the male view has good and dangerous aspects. And I think that both of those result from the fact that we are fallen. And so sin sort of warps us into some of the negatives. But in terms of the positive, I just want to talk about that the positive aspect of seeing the body as something that you that you are. Right? She says that a woman, because her body continually through its um, through its structure, through its hormonal cycles, right? A woman's body tends to remind her <laughs> on a regular basis that she's female, right? You don't usually see women running around trying to prove to everybody that they're women. Their bodies reveal it to them in a way. And so because of that close connection, Edith Stein says, A woman experiences a very close body-soul connection, resulting in a kind of identification with her body. And the positive aspect to that is, A, she does recognize that her body is a part of her person. It's not just something she does things with. And um, a woman experiences this close connection. And so when a woman sees a body, she usually recognizes a person. And that's very important, right, in our culture um, where there is so much objectification and looking upon persons as less than human, right? An object for pleasure, an object to dispose of. Um, there's this whole I think Pope Francis called it the throwaway culture. We have this culture of death, right, where we don't see um bodies as persons, right and i and I know that in the pro-life movement, they've found out that when a woman is able to see a sonogram, you know, a woman who might be abortion minded if she does have access to that sonogram, if she's able to visually perceive a living body in her mm-hmm. womb, she is more inclined to recognize oh, a living body, oh, that's a person. So mm-hmm. for her, um, it's, she plays an important role. And John Paul talked about um, this term, it gets thrown around a lot, the genius of women. The feminine genius is really that ability to oh, recognize a person, women have this Um, ability, this capacity, as he put it, to sort of help humanize the culture, to bring our recognition of persons. We see a body, we see a person, and that's really good. Um, On the other hand, we see that in our fallenness, in our woundedness from original sin, we often, mm, in that identification, there's a kind of over-identification with the body, where we think we're just our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, all we have to offer, right? And so, so many of the dangerous things that come from that, right? If I'm not beautiful enough, if I'm not perfect enough, if I'm not fit enough, right? If I don't have the right fashion, if I don't have enough people looking at me, if I can't gain attention toward my body, will will I feel affirmed? And of course, we see how dangerous that can be to not see yourself as more than mm-hmm. your physical dimension. So that's the risk. Um, But on the other side, on the instrumental side, the idea that your body is something that is more of an instrument that you, it's not you, it's just what you use to do things with, right? Well, on the positive side, right? And think about it. I mean, young men, even though, yes, their bodies have male characteristics, they don't always feel, I'm a man, right? Mm -hmm. Just knowing that they have a male body. (laughs) Men tend to feel that they have to sort of go around and prove that they're a man. They have to use, they have to use that body to do something, to accomplish something that they're proud of, right? And again, through the centuries, right, through the millennium, uh, we have male initiation rights, right? You have to go hunt that deer or score that touchdown or, you know, even on a more intellectual level, win that debate. You know, men often feel... That they're not really worthy of being called a man until they do something um, that is then sort of praised, respected, affirmed, which means that they tend to not identify with their bodies. They identify with their accomplishments. Men tend to identify with the work that they do with their bodies. Now, on a positive note, there's something good about that because by saying, I'm not my body, they automatically have an intuition that they're more than that. I'm more than just my body. Look what I can do, right? Look what I can do, of course, with our imagination, our thoughts, our mind. You know, we execute things with the body, but that that there's an awareness that, hey, I'm not just my body. I am this. And so being aware that your, act, your identity is actually goes beyond just your physical dimension is good and it's healthy. And sometimes it's a good antidote for women. If they're struggling with accepting the way their body looks, no, get out of that. Go do something, accomplish something that you can then be proud of, and it can really expand your sense of spiritual identity. I'm more than just my body. Look what I was able to do, right? And whether it be, you know, intellectual work, hey, maybe it's accomplishment through sports, maybe it's charity work, maybe it's um, an art, a craft, a hobby, whatever it is, doing something, using your mind, right, to then do something in and through your body um, reminds you, and then you have something to rest in, a sense of accomplishment and identity that sort of goes beyond your body. Um, Men kind of have that a little bit more naturally. On the other hand, if you only identify with your work and you don't identify with your body, there are some serious problems, right? You're more at risk at seeing your body as just an instrument, something I do things with. Well, great, then you might view a woman as, and her body as, just an instrument, just something you do things with. So there's, of course, that deep danger, that profound wound of the potential toward objectification that we see in our very fallen world. Um, But also if you only identify with your work, with your deeds, with what you do, you do risk being crushed when what you do fails. Right? Mm -hmm. Men and their sense of masculinity is threatened when they fail, uh, when they're unemployed, when they're injured, when things happen that um, keep them from being able to be proud of an accomplishment, their sense of identity is very much at risk. And that's something that women can help with. A woman can say, no, you are distinct from what you do. Right? I love you for you. Right? You are good. You are wonderful. And the man's like, ah, I don't have any, I didn't do anything. I didn't do it well. Right? So we do together have the capacity, I think, to, um, to affirm one another in the ways that sort of along those gender lines we sometimes um, become vulnerable. We think, oh, you know, the the particular, I guess I'd call those fallen wounds that sort of fall along gender lines. So um, when you really think again of that initial presentation of how is the body the symbol of the person, a symbol both represents and connects. There's something in itself, what it is and what it does. So a symbol really does encapsulate both the aspects of being and doing. Um, and so that really is, I think, that that is the way that if we understand the body as the visible, physical representation of the interior spiritual dimension of the person, that is the fullness of what it is, right? And we mm-hmm. see that uh, for men, Right. Sometimes they risk seeing that body as just a body, just an instrument. The woman, because she is at risk of seeing herself as just a body, what we end up seeing in the dynamic between men and women, in the fallen dynamic between men and women, is something very dangerous because it's not quite as simple as when men and women sort of fell from grace when and they fell from that original relationship with God where they where they saw, right, Scripture says that the man and the woman looked upon one another naked without shame. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, and, you know, we all know that line, but it's sort of what would that mean to be without shame? Because today, if you accuse someone of being shameless, it's usually not a compliment, right? So, yeah, <laughs> shamelessness implies that there is some sort of shame that you ought to be having right now that you're not, right? An awareness that you are not, an awareness of your dignity, an awareness of someone else's dignity that you're simply not showing, right? So what could naked without shame mean if it doesn't mean shameless, right? To actually not have shame. And this is where I think John Paul really gives us a beautiful way to describe it. He says, Adam and Eve were in, in, in that mutual gaze where they're naked without shame, right? It meant that in that moment, they were both experiencing the human body as a perfect symbol. Mm. Adam looks at Eve. He's not really seeing her body. Her body is so perfectly communicating her interior dimension, right? Her intellect, her will, her spirit, that he looks upon her body, but he actually doesn't see her body. Adam sees Eve. Eve, in looking upon Adam's body, perceives Adam. It's it's an example of perfect and total communication. They are being made known to one another through the body, through that symbol. But that symbol is so perfectly presenting their inner dimensions that they are actually able to know one another, to unite with one another fully. Whereas now, of course, in our fallen world, Sometimes the body can be a distraction to that. Right. How do you really get to know someone? Right. Well, You need to talk to them and have a conversation with them. Right. We have to get to know their thoughts and their feelings and their views. Um, but sometimes we find that the body can be a distraction to that. Right. If someone, is, you know, if a guy doesn't think a girl is pretty enough, maybe he won't give her the time of day. Right. Or maybe if um, someone is so sort of um, overly sexually appealing that maybe that's a distraction and they're just looking at her body and they're not listening to what she's got to say. Right. So Mm -hmm. there is this sense in which we definitely get that communication between the sexes and and really between anybody is, is a challenge because sometimes the body becomes an obstacle rather than the actual um, intermediary or, or sort of medium or vehicle of communication. And so when we see that we realize, Oh, in its original state the body was a perfect symbol he says that the body is still a perfect symbol but our ability to perceive it as such is marked by we somehow make this distinction between the sensible and the spiritual rather than seeing the spiritual as communicated through the sensible and so now it's possible for a man to look at a woman and think she's just a body right maybe an object mm-hmm. And while I want to turn around and say, and the woman looks at the man as an object, it's not quite that simple. It's not that women are incapable of objectifying or mistreating or using men. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, we we can do that, right? Um, But the greater tendency seems to be something more asymmetrical. A man looking at a woman as sort of an object to use and enjoy, and a woman seeing herself as that object a woman is not really seeing herself as more than that. That's actually, I think, the greater danger. And mm-hmm. because a woman being so quickly able to recognize the person, and, and and a woman being person-oriented and relationship-oriented in a particular way, which is sort of a, a whole other conversation, so many women, they're craving that union, they're craving that bond mm-hmm. with another, that sometimes they're willing to be treated as less than a person. They're willing to accept treatment that is not in full accord with their dignity, um, basically to be objectified because that's sort of the best they can hope for in terms of, um, longing for that relationship.
0: And you see that every, like all the time in today's society.
1: I know. And here we are presenting ourselves. And, and when we, we actually recognize that men, because they have this particular gift for sort of, um, again, the way their bodies are structured, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, a, a woman's body, soul relationship, but The structure of the female body, it Mm -hmm. is characterized by an ability to receive and nurture a person, right? That's Mm -hmm. what the female body is. That's how it is structured. Well, a male body isn't structured to receive and nurture a person within it, right? It's actually characterized by size and strength to go out and act on the world, to do things outside of himself, right? Mm -hmm. So we see naturally there Mm -hmm. is this um, tendency of a man to go out and sort of um, have a particular objective, work the earth, <laughs> whether it means build something, yeah. fight. Um, but it's something that he does outside of himself. Get food, put a roof Get on the house. food, <laughs> roof. And all of these things are in service of the person, of course. But he's less directly related to the person as, as a woman is in terms of her mm-hmm. orientation. He, she's more person-oriented, relationship-oriented. He, by virtue, again, of simply his physical design, tends to be more object, project, work-oriented. So together, obviously, this works beautifully. Um, But the fact that a man is already—he has certain tendencies to see his body as an instrument, to see things in terms of objectives—that we need to make sure that he doesn't look at a woman that way. We we want Mm -hmm. to make sure that he sees her as more than just a material thing. And so, in our relationships, right? As you're saying, you know, if you look on the um, online and in the magazines and everywhere, Mm -hmm. when in the movies. We women in the movies, right? We yeah. think, oh, well, the way to get that relationship is to use my sexuality. <laughs> um, we're feeding right into that wound, right? We're feeding right into that wound, um, and so really, the challenge um, for both of, for all of us, right, is to restore the body the body's original role as symbol, which again means it's physical, but it is so much more than physical. It is meant to communicate and to bring about. Again, to connect persons, a symbol always communicates and brings people together. When you think about the ways in which people communicate today, we we use that word communicate, but we usually talk about social communication technology. Mm -hmm. People by and large are now communicating, not through the body, not through that original symbol, Mm -hmm. but through another material device, right? Through their technology. Again, it is a human thing to communicate through physical media. But as we get more and more removed from the body, mm-hmm. our communication and our ability, really, to make our interior dimensions present to the other, it becomes compromised, right? We know it's quite yeah. possible to sort of put out a false identity, you know, in your social media profile, right? And we even use the term friends to about people that aren't really our friends. They don't know us, right? When you have a physical, live, in-person conversation with someone, Mm -hmm. it's unscripted, right? You're vulnerable. You might say something embarrassing or awkward, right? And (laughs) you don't know what they're going to ask you. You don't know what they're going to reveal to you. So there is this very scary, at times, vulnerability that we experience before the other. But that's what it's meant to do, because you're really open. You have to be yourself. There isn't time to sort of go and be someone else or go, you know, craft a line or look up something witty or or let me find a better picture of me that doesn't show that flaw or whatever, right? (laughs) And so actually it is 100% in live, in the live attentive presence of other bodies Mm -hmm. that we actually, whether we like it or not, we reveal our inner dimensions.
0: Well, and I love how that aspect of it doesn't like, negate the like the body either like if it's supposed to be a symbol of how you're like communicating it's not just saying that this is me but at the same time what you're wearing how you look what like mannerisms you have how much focus you give to someone those are all like revealing your inner dimension so it's like affirming the body as something really good but also not reducing it to the only good thing there
1: absolutely it, it absolutely ties in both of those aspects and Um, One thing that comes to mind, and I hate to keep focusing on the negative, but it's a positive negative. I mentioned shame earlier, right? We see that first sort of mysterious experience of shame in Scripture, right? Adam and Eve go from gazing upon one another naked without shame, Mm -hmm. whatever exactly that means, right? What we've interpreted as a perfect communication between the two um, to, okay, their relationship with God is is broken, right? They distrust God. They actively disobey him. They basically say they believe the devil's suggestion that God is a liar. Mm-hmm. And they grasp that fruit, which will give them total control. They don't need God anymore. So they commit the sin. And the very first manifestation of that sin is they're hiding. They're hiding in the bushes, and they're sort of hiding from one another with leaves. There's a sudden awareness of one another's bodies, you know, as though the body is this sort of separate entity instead of Mm -hmm. an integral dimension of this larger whole. So what we see from the beginning was that shame was experienced as kind of a desire to hide, right? Whether we're hiding from God, we're hiding certain parts of our body from the other. Shame is um, experienced as a bodily awareness and a desire Mm -hmm. to sort of conceal. Mm -hmm. And when you look at ways in which people show that awareness in the world today. Whether or not they are committing a sin or maybe they're sort of feeling at risk of someone else committing a sin, it's always shown in a physical response. Maybe you blush, right? Maybe you've said something that you feel ashamed of or maybe someone else said something that made you feel embarrassed or or undignified, right? We blush. Maybe we break out into a sweat. Um, maybe if my my child you know, breaks something that he's embarrassed to tell me about. Maybe he's um hesitant to make eye contact with me. Mm-hmm. Certainly covering up. You know, if somebody burges in on you in a dressing room, oh my goodness, you know, we want to cover up, right? This it's an instinctive response. It doesn't mean that you did anything wrong by being in the dressing room, but when someone's dignity is at risk, there's this instinctual response to cover up and hide. It's a physical response and it's good, right? I think it's a good thing, right? And when when we say someone is shameless, it means you're not having that instinctual physical response that someone's dignity is at risk here, right? Mm -hmm. And what we see as communication has gone more and more um, from face-to-face to interaction that's mediated through technology, we see shame disappearing. And I'm not just talking about sort of like the fact that we know the internet over-sexualized, you know, people yeah. people posting pictures of themselves that, ah, you know, why are you posting that, right? Well, you're not going to blush because you're not in the presence of others who might be seeing you like this, right? And you're not seeing their reaction You're not either, seeing their reaction, like... right? Or hearing what they're saying, right? And so that's, that's huge. We see that. But even just plain what I'd call rudeness, right? The boldness of it. My sister and I used to joke that um, in her office where someone might be a little little ashamed to ask for another vacation day or maybe to call in sick you know y- you have to face someone and say this thing right oh if i can just email it if i can just text it i don't i'm i'm willing to ask for things or say things that i'm not feeling that physical effect of shame that would come from looking someone in the eye. So we see this in the internet comment boxes, right? Someone will write an article and you see the comments, right? And some people can just say the cruelest and most dismissive and demeaning things to others. They don't have to look them in the face. They don't have to make a defense for what they're thinking, right? It's so much easier to see another human person as an object if you don't have to them in the eyes if you don't have to be in their physical presence, right? It's providing this convenient distance where, maybe that's a person on the other end. I don't know, right? You just maybe (laughs) see a name or an icon. And so when you don't experience shame, you begin to treat others in a less than human way. You begin to act in a less than human way, right? Because we lose that sense of the whole, the spiritual, physical dignity of the person. And so What we see is that the more and more that we do not relate to one another in the flesh through live human conversation um, and presence and having to look at one another, uh, truly the less and less aware of the human person we actually become. So when you lose physical interaction, you start to lose shame. And that is a huge, huge threat to human dignity that we see. Um, we see it happening, and it's something that we lose when we don't have that—that um, that in the flesh existence. But being in the flesh with another, again, it makes us vulnerable because, yeah. you know, as women, we sort of want to be perceived as perfect, you know, physically, and you know, we we have this desire. Um, and men certainly, you know, want to, you know, impress, right? And so you have this dynamic where that vulnerability of just being me. I know me might get revealed in and through my physical presence and maybe I'm afraid of that or maybe I'm afraid of the other person revealing themselves to me. What if it's too much, right? Um, that giving and receiving, that vulnerability that happens in real human relationships is, is scary, right? And so in an attempt to control that, we like to have that safe distance of our technology, but what it really does is erode our sense of the other's humanity.
0: That's so fascinating. I've never like really actually thought of bodies as a symbol that way, but it totally makes sense that like and that's how, like, I mean, we all know that that's how you're most physically present to people is like when you're in the same room with them. But yeah, it's just like having, like the fact that it's like written into our bodies, like we are the body soul composite. And like, there's a reason for that. It's not just who we are. I mean, it is who we are, but it's not, I just lost my train yes. of thought too.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is when, when you think about it and what's probably more scary is today, <laughs> you will see people engrossed in their technology we're, okay, they may well be connecting with another person on the other side, yeah. but they are becoming less and less aware of the persons in their presence. Well,
0: and that's how God created us. That, that's, like, that's how we are. That's, that's how He created are. us to be present. So,
1: So when we see that we're becoming less sensitive to those in our physical presence, particularly women, that's eroding that feminine mm-hmm. genius. It does have that power because you'll see it. You'll walk around and you'll see people totally ignoring other people that, that maybe they're called to have and in other circumstances would have had a spontaneous conversation with, right? Nope. I just have this person I'm relating to and I'm ignoring those. So it is absolutely possible now to sort of be in someone's physical presence, but not to be aware of it because we're drawn to the more abstract communication. And so for women, it, it can kind of erode that personal awareness, that feminine genius. And for men, it seems to feed into that ability to sort of abstract block out persons, focus on objects. So it it kind of compounds some of the struggles men have, mm-hmm. and it erodes some of the gifts that women have. So I think it does different things to the masculine and the feminine gifts and weaknesses. And sadly, none of them are good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, but even, even but just one more thing about the masculine ability, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times, so I think we can recognize how relating not through the body, but through technology can, can put our human relationships at risk right Mm -hmm. you're not really relating to the real person you're trying to keep up with maybe too many friendships and relationships right because when you take the body out of the equation the body in all of its beauty and dignity um it also limits us right my body places me here now this place this time i really can't have a thousand friends even if i'd like to and that's one of the things we look forward to in heaven that time and space won't be an obstacle right because there is that phrase the more the merrier it's true, right? In a true friendship, the more the merrier when people share your interests and your joys, there's it's beautiful, but we just we can't do it. We mm-hmm. can only ha- you know, we're limited. Um but in the other area that people often celebrate technology is our ability because it removes the body. It's sort of it seems to remove space and time. You can research, you can find out a million things. It's the information age, right? I used to write a paper in college and I'd have to walk to the library and look things up in the card catalog and maybe find a journal article and then Xerox it and take it back to my dorm room and study it, right? There was a lot of space and time issues that sort of limited what research I could actually do, right? But now, at a moment's touch, you have a million things at your disposal. Are college students today really reading those millions of articles that are at their fingertips, right? Imagine that, oh, I've got it all here. When am I gonna read it? Oh. am i going to read a thousand articles right they're not doing it right they can't because they can't do it but there's this pressure and there's this sense that oh i can figure that out and so we have become a culture of skimmers it's this information overload you can't in your physical finiteness in your physical limitedness actually digest a thousand articles right yeah instead of just reading the one really well right We feel this pressure and this, A, it's very overwhelming. Sometimes you can't concentrate. People are losing their ability to concentrate and focus because it's so easy to switch to another topic or another perspective. But we have, it's been shown that we are becoming a culture of skimmers, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you skim, after a while, I like to make the connection to food. During Lent, we often skimp on food, right? We fast and it's good. It's good for us, right? but we sometimes plan on having a big feast on Easter and we're gonna eat everything. I plan to eat, you know, the moon. I wanna <laughs> eat everything. All these things have been offering up in Easter day and I'm five jelly beans in and I'm full. Oh no, I'm full, I wanted to eat that whole ham, right? What happens is, as, as you, when you skimp on food, right? When you fast, your stomach shrinks, right? Mm-hmm. You can't even take in as much. Um, the same thing happens when you skim. When you're constantly skimming And then you go and try to take in and focus and take in a whole article and read it from start to finish your attention span has shrunk so we even though removal from our bodily limits gave us this idea this i I call it the sense of the infinite right Mm -hmm. time distance quantity no issue anymore because our physical limitations aren't a problem they still exist right the body helps limit you in a good way by making you present and helping you to know your limitations. And so what they're actually finding is that young people are losing their ability to focus. They're not even able to take in this infinity of information. And they've even looked, um, there's a, um, Cal Newport is his name, he is works at Georgetown, and he's written about how even in the workplace where technology is often most celebrated, that Attention spans are shrinking because, of course, you can be texted or emailed at any moment and you can certainly you're doing your research and you can have this and this and this to switch from. And it's harder to really focus and invest that long term intellectual focus um, to solve problems. So even sort of that problem solving gift of focus that that men sort of have as part of their masculine genius, you know, blocking out things and focusing that's compromised by by removing the body and removing that real sense of the natural limits that our bodies have. So the, in terms of, um, in all aspects, the body really does, it makes us present to others, but, but also to ourselves and, and, our, and the, the limits that we naturally have that would help us sort of um, really approach the world as we're designed to do. So there's just so many different, I think, aspects of what our body does for us um, in helping us realize the gift that it is but that we need to relate to others in and through the more we can relate in and through the body the more we can have authentic relationships and really preserve those gifts those intellectual gifts that we have creativity is one of them too mm-hmm. i just remembered <laughs> that and if i'm going on too long just stop me but the um oftentimes creative works of creative nature come about where our mind is sort of at rest. Mm -hmm. And I would make it, I would connect it to when children are bored. When my children come to me and say, we have nothing to do, right? Sometimes you don't have anything for them to do or they don't want to do the things you've given them. So you send them outside, right? And they complain and ah, you know. But if you don't give in, if you wait just long enough, they're gonna find that old cardboard box in the backyard. (laughs) They're gonna make a game. They're gonna invent something creative, works of creativity. You do not have works of creativity unless your mind experiences boredom, unless there is some rest, right? And so if there's always something to scroll on a screen, right, it fills in all those moments where we would naturally experience boredom. People are struggling to create and that translates to the spiritual life as well. People are struggling to pray because the Holy Spirit, it's not like God, it's not like we have to wait around for God. God is always present the question is have we emptied ourselves and opened up some time in our own life to make ourselves present to god right mm-hmm. and that means sort of being bored taking away those things and in a normal life unmediated by technology there's going to be moments of the day of, of boredom or of of nothing to do but just wait right something <laughs> will come to us so that's another way in which um, the body's so-called limits actually open us up to a deeper fulfillment as a spiritual physical person.
0: That's awesome. Um, Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Just since I ended on that note talking about um,
1: technology and relationships is that it doesn't mean that we're gonna necessarily turn back the clock and undo all of our technology. Certainly it is a Mm -hmm. tool and can be used for good. But it does mean that some of the things that used to happen more naturally, like that conversation on the airplane, um, or uh, there's nothing to do tonight, let's play a board game, you know, or let's read a book, right? Some of those things that are done less and less today, we just have to be more intentional about because they are good. You know, some people say, well, how do we get kids off technology? Well, have you sat down with your kids and played a game, right? Or maybe we sit together as a family and and read something maybe we turn off the tv you know or or okay if you want to use technology maybe we sit down and watch a movie together as a family and then talk about Instead it of everyone watching it on their phone separately exactly because the then you don't have to compromise and you don't have to you know because true, you fight about you know what are we going to watch um but so it simply means that you know or you know when i tell young men and women like you know girls don't don't text the boys boys don't text the girls that's there's nothing scary about that there's no risk there right mm boys, go up and take a risk. Talk to that girl. Um, ask her to dance. You know, girls, just wait, make them do it, right? Like allow that natural because real human act- interactions can be a little scary sometimes, but give it a chance. It's going to be something more real and satisfying. And It's just that we we kind of have to be more, this word gets overused, but more intentional about trying to create opportunities to have in-person experiences together as a family between men and women, whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, things that might used to in the past happen just, we didn't have to work to make them happen. And we took them for granted that we kind of lost them. We didn't realize some of the things we were losing with a lot of the new inventions. Um, So it doesn't mean we're gonna have to undo them all, but we need to be more intentional to create opportunities for conversation, for spontaneous experiences, for community experiences, because those are the kind of things where we really do reveal ourselves, right? You don't just sit with a person and say, okay, reveal yourself to me, right? (laughs) You have conversations, you do activities together in groups um, and people reveal themselves when you have a common activity and we need to create some of those. And I think that will help um, our younger generation in particular to be able to communicate, to concentrate (laughs) and and to create. Um, The three C's, I like to call that um, by sort of being a little more intentional about in-person activities that we actually um, make happen.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so good to have you on. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So, Well, yeah. thank you so much, Colleen. All right. <laughs> and to all of our listeners, please remember to like, follow, subscribe, share with your friends, whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, or any of our audio platforms. And keep on living the culture of life. God bless.